Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, today we got the highly anticipated, as it always is, uh, monthly non-farm payroll number, the employment situation number. The consensus estimate was for a gain of 230,000 jobs. Now, on Wednesday, you know, we got the ADP report which slightly missed expectations of 220,000. According to ADP, we added 213,000 jobs in uh, January. So that was a bit of a disappointment. And most people, myself included, I mean, I was looking for a weaker jobs number in January, consistent with all of the other economic data, the macroeconomic data that has been consistently bad throughout the months, including, you know, the recent... GDP number for the fourth quarter that came in way below the 3.2 estimate of 2.6. And given the numbers that have come out over the last few days, that number is likely to be revised substantially lower next month, either the low twos or maybe even the high ones. So a huge deceleration. I'll get into the reasons for those revisions a little bit later, but I want to continue to talk about the jobs data, which came out and Instead of being below expectations, it beat 257,000 jobs was the number, better than the 230,000 jobs that had been expected. But I think more significant than that beat were all of the upward revisions to prior months. Just the last two months alone, November and December, the government increased the number of jobs created by 147,000. In fact, they made upward revisions to almost every month, uh, including going all the way back to January. So uh, many more jobs, theoretically, were created during the year than was originally reported. Also, the average hourly earnings number, which is uh, a number now that Wall Street pays a lot of attention to, was supposed to jump by 03 after falling by 0.2 in the prior month, that was unrevised. Instead, it jumped by 0.5, which I think is the largest increase 
in many, many years. Now, I think a lot of that has to do with the large number of states that enacted minimum wage increases that became effective in January. So obviously that's going to give a one-time bump to average hourly earnings because unfortunately we do have a lot of minimum wage workers now. And so all of those workers received a pay hike on January 1st by law. So that's not a gain that can be you know, repeated. Uh, so it's, I don't, wouldn't get too excited about that. And of course, as the year progresses, a number of those people who received small pay increases will receive 100% pay cuts as they are laid off, in part because uh, employing them has been made more expensive based on a mandatory higher minimum wage. So we're going to see an increase in unemployment or a reduction in the rate of job creation in that sector, and that's going to play out throughout the year. But on the surface, uh, the report is much better than estimates, and the immediate reaction in the market uh, was swift. You had a big um, sell-off in foreign currencies, a big rise in the value of the dollar, particularly against the Japanese yen and the euro. Uh, You saw a big drop in the price of gold. Gold immediately went down about 20 bucks. It's now down about $30 an ounce as I am recording this. You know, this stands in sharp contrast to the muted reaction uh, in the currency markets and the precious metals markets to yesterday's horrific um, a trade deficit number, which I, again, I'm going to get to that in a minute, but I just uh, got sidetracked a little bit. I want to still talk about the jobs numbers. The Unemployment rate did tick up to 5.7%. It was supposed to remain steady at 5.6%. Instead, it did notch it up. One of the reasons is because the labor force participation rate did move up to 62.9% from 62.7%. But 62.7% was the record low, right? So we barely bounced. And, you know, we ended last year with an all-time low for the labor force participation. How is it that it was such a banner year for job creation if so few people actually participated in the labor force. It doesn't really make any sense. And again, we had a member of the uh, president's economic advisors, Jason Furman. I was watching him this morning on CNBC, you know, trying to explain away, rationalize the low labor force participation number. And again, he repeated the lie that the reason for the decline is because of the retirement of the baby boom which is a highly exaggerated statistic because the baby boom is not really retiring because they're too broke to retire. That is the story of this job market is how many people in their 60s and 70s are still working. Now, many of them are taking part-time jobs, right? They stay, they're semi-retired, but they can't afford no job because they don't have enough income. Their cost of living is going up. The fact is that if you just look at labor force participation among 60-year-olds, 70-year-olds, it's rising. Where the labor force participation is plunging is 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds. It's younger people. So it's, a, it's completely opposite of what the president's uh, you know, economic advisor is saying. And if he's saying this to the president, I mean, how are you going to get good economic advice from an advisor who doesn't even know the facts? If he's pretending that it's about the baby boom retiring. Now, it's easy to make to pretend that because it makes sense. Yeah, we have a baby boom. They're getting older. It makes sense that they would retire. But the reality is they can't afford to retire. So the truth that they don't want to admit is that it's the young people. And what's their excuse for that? 
why are these young people not working? And it's because of the, the fact that the economy is really weak and we're not producing the type of jobs uh, that, that, that will employ these people. And, of course, a lot of these younger people don't have the skills and experience to compete with the older people who would like to retire but who are forced back into the workforce because of economic circumstances. But here's one interesting anomaly, you know, when I'm, I'm looking at these jobs numbers. Because, again, you know, it's, it's really it, – there, there's two things going on, right? Because all the other data points to a weakening economy. And now you've got this one data set, jobs, that says the economy is stronger. So which is it, right? Now, I think eventually the numbers are going to have to change to be consistent. So either all the other data is going to have to strengthen to be consistent with the strong jobs numbers – or the jobs numbers are going to weaken to be consistent with all the other data. And I still think that these jobs numbers are much more backward-looking based on optimism that's going to turn out to be false. And I think a lot of it has to do with this transitional economy from a full-time employees to part-time employees. It just means there are more jobs. In fact, many people have multiple jobs. You know, if I lose a full-time job and I get hired twice to do two part-time jobs, that counts as me having two jobs. I mean, it counts as two jobs being created, even though I'm one guy. And of course, if I lose one of those jobs, I still don't become unemployed because I have one of them. So if you've got two jobs, it's difficult to be unemployed now because you got to get fired twice. But all of this stuff is factoring in, I think, to make the jobs uh, numbers appear stronger than they are. And of course, you had all the pent-up demand in 2014, all the people who were milking their unemployment benefits for two years, deliberately not looking for jobs, all of a sudden came into the workforce at once. Uh, so I don't think this is going to be repeated throughout the year. I do think that it's this January port that's more going to be the anomaly uh, rather than uh, all the other bad economic data. In fact, if you look at uh, the number that we got yesterday from Challenger Job Cut Report, 53,000 announced layoffs in January. That's the most in any January in three years. And in fact, that's the most layoffs announced in January since February 2013. So it's an almost two-year high in announced layoffs. And I think that uptick in the uh, unemployment rate could be the beginning of a new trend. It's the end of the decline and the beginning of a new increase. So I wouldn't be so sure the markets are jumping to the conclusion now that the June rate hike is now, you know, now a sure thing. There's a lot of jobs reports that are going to come out between now and June that could end up disappointing expectations. But here is a very interesting little little piece of data. And I read this on on Zero Hedge. But according to the non-farm payroll number that we got today, in the energy sector, right, the oil and gas sector, in January, only 1,900 jobs were lost. This is according to the U.S. government. 1,900. According to the, the numbers we got yesterday from Challenger, they reported 21,322 job cuts in the energy sector. So what's more likely to be the correct number? You know, 21,000 or 1,900? I mean, given all the job losses, given all the, the, the collapse in the rig count, the government's number, there's no way that that's true. There's no way that the, the layoffs is so small. So the point would be if the government is so far off in its estimate of the number of people who lost their jobs in the energy sector, maybe they're also way off in the number of people who they think gain jobs in other sectors. So who knows how accurate uh, these reports are? 
because maybe they're not accurate. Maybe all of the other economic data is more accurate, like the trade deficit. I alluded to that earlier, but let's talk about yesterday's trade deficit, which was horrific. Right, this is the trade deficit for December, and which also goes into the calculation for fourth quarter GDP. They were assuming that the trade deficit was going to improve in uh, December. It was $39 billion in um, November, and they were looking for a decrease in the deficit. That's an improvement, a smaller deficit. They were looking for $37.9 billion. Instead, we got $46.6 billion. 46.6. That's the highest trade deficit in about two and a half years. It's a 17% increase from the prior month. And the prior month was revised upward, by the way. So it's an even bigger increase from the unrevised number. But they took the $39 billion from November and made that 39.8. And now this new number is 17 high, 17% higher than that upwardly revised prior month. And in fact, in dollar terms, this was the biggest increase in a monthly trade deficit ever, ever in U.S. history. Right? So this is the biggest miss in, in the history of misses when it comes to the trade deficit. And the reaction in the foreign exchange market couldn't care less. Didn't even matter. I remember at one point when trade deficit mattered, this would be a huge, the dollar would collapse on a report like that. But nobody cares. All they care about is the jobs numbers because that's all the Fed cares about. Right? And they're all wondering, is the Fed going to raise rates or aren't they going to raise rates? That's the whole thing that's behind this dollar rally. Now, the media, of course, they spin this as good news, right? Because, oh, the stronger U.S. economy, we're sucking in all these imports. Our economy is so strong. Our consumers are out there spending. Uh-uh. See, that dog don't hunt. If our economy was strong, our workers would be producing. We wouldn't need to rely on imports. And in fact, we'd be producing so much stuff with our strong economy, we could export more. But that's not what's happening. You know, supposedly we hired all these workers. Where's their productivity? Why can't we export it? Why can't we consume it? We've created all these jobs, yet we're importing more stuff. That's because we're creating consumers and not producers. That is the problem with these jobs. Now, the other thing the media did to try to spin this as if, well, it's not that bad, is they blamed it on the strong dollar. Oh, you know, the strong dollar is, uh, you know, allowing Americans to buy more foreign products. And so we have a bigger trade deficit. That's not actually it either, because there's something called the J-curve. And what that means is that the initial effects of a strong currency is that your trade deficit goes down. Why? Because your imports cost you less, right? You can import the same amount of stuff for a lot less money. Over the longer term, yes, you know, the if we have an overvalued dollar, we're going to end up uh, with a bigger trade deficit. But in the short run, right, the dollar going up would bring down the trade deficit as a result of the l reduced cost of our imports. Instead, our trade deficit is ballooning even in the short run. And that's not simply a reflection of foreign exchange. It's just a fundamental weakness in the American economy that we are forced to rely more heavily on imports and go deeper into debt in order to uh, consume. And that's what we're doing. We're borrowing money and we're, you know, we're buying, we're buying imports. And people look at this as if it's some kind of indicative of e economic strength. But what, of course, they all forget is that regardless of how they try to spin it, the number reduces the GDP. Because when you calculate GDP, 
you have to subtract your trade deficit. Now, if you have a surplus, you add that to your GDP. But if you have a deficit, you have to subtract it. Now, when the government came out with the 2.6 number, they were assuming this uh, $37.9 billion, I guess, trade deficit for December. Instead, it was 46.6, a much, it's a huge difference. So that alone, that number alone could maybe knock a half a point off our GDP for the quarter. So instead of uh, 2.6, maybe 2.2. But then if you look at the factory orders, industrial production, all of the other weak economic data that has come out, who knows, maybe the GDP will have a one handle by the time they finish the revisions. You know, also yesterday, we got productivity numbers that were weaker than expected for the fourth quarter. Uh, they were looking for a 0.2% increase and said we got a 1.8% reduction. Overall, for the entire year, I think we had uh, an increase in productivity of just 0.8, which is, I think, one-tenth above uh, the meager 0.7 from 2013. So, you know, productivity numbers not there. Unit labor costs were up. Uh, 2.7% on the quarter. But most of the increase in unit labor costs is not workers getting higher wages and salaries. It's just the cost of benefits going up. And so, you know, just because the employer has to pay more to deliver the same benefits to its employees. In fact, in many cases, the benefits are worse, right? Because as healthcare is getting more expensive, in many cases, uh, the employers have to get a less generous plan. Maybe there's more deductibles, higher co-pays. And even though it still costs the employer more to provide that lower quality plan, that shows up in the, uh, the labor cost numbers. And everybody you know, usually just wants to assume, oh, this is great because it means uh, workers are earning more money. Not necessarily. They might not be earning more money at all. They're just employers are having to spend more money to give them uh, the same or a lower quality in benefits. And of course, Labor costs simply reduces. If your labor costs are going up, businesses are less profitable. And of course, what might they do if the cost of employing people goes up? Well, they'll employ fewer people, they'll lay people off, or they'll not hire people. The bottom line here is this jobs number is all anybody cares about. It is uh, emboldening the dollar bulls, the U.S. economy bulls, all of the bad news, you know, again, ignored. And even though the bad news that we get is generally pretty bad, there's usually not as big a reaction to the bad news than there is to the good news. You get a kernel of good news and, oh, yeah, this is it. The U.S. economy is in great shape because that is the narrative that is driving uh, the markets. And you, you might wonder, how many times can the dollar rally on the same news? How many times can gold go down on the same news? Because this has been the story all year, right? This is what's been driving the markets, the idea that the Fed's going to raise rates and nobody else is because the U.S. economy is so strong. Well, I don't believe the economy is strong. I believe that the preponderance of evidence shows that it's not strong. Common sense, economic understanding shows that it's not strong. The problem is most people don't have either when it comes to an understanding of economics. You know, the same people who were so confident in the economy just before we went off a cliff in 2008, those are the ones that are confident in it now. And the reason they're, they, they have confidence is because they don't understand the problem. They didn't understand it before the financial crisis. They don't understand it now. See, it's because they don't understand the problems that they think the Fed solved them. See, they don't understand the, the Fed has made the problems worse. But, of course, they don't know that because they never understood the problems in the first place, and they still haven't learned their lesson. But I do believe that we're going to continue to get more economic data that is going to be weak and is going to disappoint and eventually, eventually, we're going to start to see the big decline 
in the jobs numbers. Right? We can't keep adding these part-time jobs forever. And the GDP numbers were influenced last year by a big increase in Obamacare spending, which is not going to be repeated in 2015, and by a huge inventory build, which, if anything, is going to weigh on the GDP in 2015. So I look for the continued weakness in GDP, and I think maybe this slight uptick in the unemployment rate, everybody is ignoring it, but it could be the beginning of a new trend and the end of an old trend. Today's financial advisors behave like pro-wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies.